Quest Community Church, living life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. Let me introduce uh, to you, many of you know Nicole Geiger already. If you have small little kids, you see her every Sunday, probably checking your kids over here. I asked Nicole to read the scripture today because I wanted you to see her beautiful face and uh, and just recognize her as who she is. She is our pre-K coordinator for children's ministry and she does an amazing job as well as the curriculum coordinator. She makes it outrageously easy for everybody. Everybody who teaches already knows this, but all you have to, and I see heads nodding all over the place. She does such a great job that all you have to do is walk into the classroom and have fun teaching because everything is there orderly prepared for you. I, I have been a part of very few churches where it is this well run and this well organized for the teachers. So if, you're, if you want to help teach, we'd love to have you do that. And uh, you can be guaranteed that you get to maximize time with kids doing what you really love and not have to do a bunch of busy work, thanks to Nicole. So. (laughs) All right. Our scripture this morning is from Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 29. There's also excerpts in here from Matthew and Luke as well. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. Matthew adds, his face shone like the sun. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Luke describes this as his clothes were like a flash of lightning. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Luke's account adds, they spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them. Luke said they were greatly afraid, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Matthew says, when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground terrified but jesus came and touched them get up he said do not be afraid suddenly when they looked around they no longer saw anyone with them except jesus as they were coming down the mountain jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the son of man had risen from the dead they kept the matter to themselves discussing what rising from the dead meant and they asked him why do the teachers of the law say that elijah must come first Jesus replied, To be sure, Eliza does, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why, then, is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the other As soon as the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth and gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. 
He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help him. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. Thank you, Nicole. Let's pray. Lord, we invite your presence now to come and uh, do what you do best, that you would come and bring thoughts to each one of our minds and speak to us right where we're at. And we bless you for the goodness of how you do that. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been in this series called Real Jesus for a while. And uh, some of you are going, man, you got a big section of scripture out this morning. We're going to really make progress now, right? It is a big set of, a section of Scripture. And uh, as, been, as we've been looking at this, the first eight chapters of Mark we talked about are written primarily around answering the question, who is Jesus? And we see at the end of verse uh, chapter 8 in Mark that Peter actually finally gets it. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what we see happening now in Mark, recording his eyewitness account, he shifts more from the things that he saw that prove who Jesus is to now answering this question, well, now that we know who he is, what does it mean to follow him? What does it mean to be a disciple of his? What does that look like? And today's passage is a really long text, and a lot of people actually treat them as separate incidences, but I think in general this this passage deserves to be together because it gives us this amazing picture of life for all of us. We all struggle in life with the, the living in this hope of God's presence, of, of, of these experiences that each one of us have had throughout our lifetime where we've experienced His presence. We know His love to be real. We know His Spirit to be real. And all of us probably, most of us, if not all of us, have had some sort of an experience like that. And yet, we spend so much of our time outside of those experiences, those mountaintop experiences, in just the reality of life, don't we? And it really becomes hard sometimes to look at those experiences of God and then live in the reality of life and figure out how do we live this out? What does it look like? What does it mean? And when we talk about reality of life, it's really easy for us when we're really serious about our faith and we're just intent that we're supposed to grow to really focus all the time on the kind of the pain points, the negative points, the failing points of our life and and deal with reality from that perspective. And and I'll admit, I'm probably as guilty as anybody, when we sermonize up here, it's easy for us as well when we talk about the reality of life to to put our finger on all the difficult, painful things in life. And, And to be sure, there is a lot of pain in people's lives in our audience on a regular basis, even here today. And it's not illegitimate at all to to point out those things. But the reality of our reality is that a lot of times it's just ordinary. It's just 
the sameness. It's, it's the struggle with this sense of almost powerlessness to change things in our own life or in the lives of people around us fast enough at the pace we want them to change. It's just this struggle with the pace of life that really is our reality. Today we get to look at this passage and we start out by seeing this amazing, amazing story. If you just sit back and just try to visualize what actually happens in the transfiguration, try to imagine it with your mind. It's this beautiful, amazing experience of God and His presence. It's really the hope of what we want. Because that's really what we all want. We want to hear God's voice. We want to see what He sees. We want, to, we want to make everything to be clear of what He wants from us and how He loves us and who He is. We want it to be that clear. And as we look at this hope in the transfiguration, we get to see two simple things in, as we celebrate it. It's, it's really it's this profound incidence, but it's very, it's very simple. It's simply this, that Jesus is the object of our worship. And Jesus is also the one who enables our worship. See, about 1,500 years before this, give or take a century, there was another incident of a uh, mountaintop experience. We see the people of Israel in the wilderness coming out of Egypt, coming to the Promised Land, coming to this mountain, and God's presence comes down on the mountain in, in just amazing power. A cloud comes down on the mountain. He invites the people to the mountain, and they're so afraid that they don't want to go. And Moses himself is the only one who goes to the mountain. And he meets God and it transforms his life in such an amazing way that when Moses comes down from the mountain, he creates this special place that he can go outside the camp to be alone, to commune with the presence of God. And it it actually describes his times of going there as God transforming him so much, him seeing God's presence and being in God's presence so much that something changes about his countenance. His countenance shines and, and people see the presence of God all over him when he comes back from those times. In Exodus 33, we see one of those interactions recorded that Moses had with God. And Moses says to God, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. And skipping to verse 20, But he said, You cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. And so the story goes on to show how God hit him in the cleft of the rock and he passed by him and allowed him to see him in, the, in a cloud and to see the backside of God. I don't know what that looked like, but that, that's what it says. 1,500 years later, we get to see another mountaintop experience. And Moses shows up again. And Elijah's there with Jesus. And it would be easy for us to say that it's just another... Sinai experience, a mountaintop experience like Moses had. It is in some senses, but it's, it's so much more than that. Because the difference of what we get to see today is simply this. When Moses went into the presence of God, he reflected his glory like the moon reflects the light of the sun. But what we get to see today is the actual glory of God himself in Jesus coming out of this envelope or this cloak of his, of his being and being seen directly The disciples get to see the glory of God face to face. They get to see His face as described as the sun shining. They get to see His whole being described as a a flash of light and they see the glory of God and then they see this cloud come down. And Can you imagine both the excitement and the terror? Because they've heard from childhood all the stories of the, of the cloud of God's glory coming down and only certain people, only the priests, only the elect, only the, the best could go into that presence and not die. 
Can you imagine the terror that they experience in that moment? And this is an interesting thing because it brings us back to a point we've made before, but I'll I'll say it again. If this story, if this account is not true, historical, then it leaves us following Jesus and it leaves the decision to follow Jesus as a completely foolish one. Why would we follow someone who's such a big megalomaniac that they've got to tell a big story about themselves this way that's not true? But if it is true, what we see in this story, then Jesus is the object of our worship. He is God Himself. And not only is He God Himself, but second, it it comes out that, that He's the one who enables our worship as well. You see, Moses is warned that if you see my face, you'll die. But the disciples in this instance, they see the face of God. They see this cloud they'd heard about, and it terrifies them. And and Peter actually responds, kind of bumbling it almost indicates. That's not too abnormal for Peter. He kind of does that on a regular basis. But I think this is probably a little more of a bumbling thing, saying, can we just put up three shelters for you guys? And that seems even more ridiculous to us in one sense as a bumbling statement until we realize that the word he uses for shelters is the word, the same word that's used for tabernacle or temple. And you see, we have this approach to our faith so often that we want to create places to contain God's presence because it's kind of intimidating sometimes to be in His presence. It's kind of overwhelming to even claim that God can come and speak to you and speak through us to people. It it seems intimidating, so we want to create these places that are safe for us to experience or worship God and and contained. And and that's kind of what he's saying And because the glory of God is, is difficult to withstand at times for us. In fact, when we look at the term glory even in of itself, in these instances, like in the Old Testament, on the mountaintop experience, when the cloud comes down, the word glory used there, and even in the New Testament, is this word that means weighty, weighty significance. It's, it, it, it's this weighty presence, this tangible, palpable presence of God, but it, it speaks to us even beyond just that in terms of the fact that we all are designed to want glory. We want to have a weighty significance in our life. Because whenever the cloud comes down, we see things like like God speaking to Jesus. You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. We want that kind of glory. We want to have that kind of acceptance, that kind of a sense of meaning and purpose. And backing by God Himself and relationship by God Himself. It's what we all want. Whether we worship at the altar of work and success or we worship at the altar of family or acceptance or whether we worship at the altar of God, we want that kind of affirmation that we're accepted, that we're worthwhile, that we're, ex- that, that, that we're, we're significant. And as the cloud comes down and envelops them, What a great word. Envelops them. They fall to the ground in fear. But they didn't die. It goes on to say, suddenly they looked around and they were left only with Jesus. Jesus is not only God, 
the object of our worship, the essence of His glory, but He's also the bridge that makes it possible for us to experience God's presence, to see His face, to know Him for who He is, and not die, but be accepted, be fully loved. You know, the transfiguration really is this, is this picture of what the resurrection will be. It's this, it's this picture of Jesus rising from the dead. It's the picture of us in heaven. It's, the, it's even the picture of what it means for Jesus to say, it's better for me to go away and for me to send the Holy Spirit, my presence, my glory, my very being to live in you, which is His promise when we follow Him, that He sends the Spirit to us. You say, six days, six days earlier in this, we see Peter claiming, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He believed rightly. He declared correctly who Jesus was. He understood it rightly. But now, he gets to experience it. And there's so much of a difference when you experience it, isn't it? You know, th- this represents all that we hope for to hear God's voice, to know His powerful, loving touch, to be affirmed, to be able to be in His presence and feel the love and the presence and not feel the shame and the guilt and not fear dying. The disciples go on and they finish their camping experience to the top of the mountain with Jesus. They sleep there, it says, and they walk down the next day into reality. You know, I used to get, I used to get frustrated uh, Years ago, we were in a church, and we'd send out about 150 people on short-term missions every summer, and we'd send people to summer camps, and they'd come back on these spiritual highs and just amazing experiences with God, and they had these mountaintop experiences, but I consistently would get frustrated because they wouldn't re-enter into the reality of the slowness or the normalness or the ordinariness of daily life, and either hold on to what God showed them and apply it here, or they'd even a month or two down the line get, get disillusioned. And I, I actually for a while got to the point where I was saying, no, nah, we shouldn't, why should we send people on stuff like that? But the reality is, and the lesson of today is, that God does want those mountaintop experiences. God does want us to experience His presence and power in amazing ways. But he also wants to give us in this passage some practical lessons about how we return to reality and live in his presence and bring his presence back to that ordinariness. You see, the story of Jesus and the disciples, as we see them coming down the mountain, that they have to face with this boy who's been demonized and all this stuff, may not fully relate to many of us. Maybe, maybe our experiences of coming from those experiences with God back to reality aren't facing something like that, but it really is for all of us a picture, a picture of the normalness of life, of living in the tension of reality and hope of who God is. And the question that we're dealing with is, how do we live in God's presence and bring God's presence from the mountaintop into our everyday lives where we spend most of the time and where most of life change actually happens? Because those mountaintop experiences truly are episodic. They don't don't happen all the time. I I think God wants them to happen maybe more than we expect them to happen, but, but probably less than we hope for and we really want. Yet most of ministry happens in that daily, ordinary time. 
But our experience so often is we experience God. Maybe we give our lives to Him, or maybe He comes and heals something, or maybe He, he does just the amazing mountaintop experience, and we walk out of Him consistently, even when, we don't know, even when we know we shouldn't. We walk out of Him consistently going, now I'm free. Now things are necessarily going to be easier. And it doesn't take us very long to get to the bottom of the mountain and realize there's still reality to deal with. Sometimes we even, in our religious ways, we say if we are savvy enough, if we are moral enough, if we're good enough at being intentional about learning, then our life will automatically always be easier. But it doesn't take long sometimes to walk down the mountain and see the reality. Let me summarize what Jesus, Peter, James, and John walk into, kind of in my own words. The scripture will be on the screen. You can probably look at it while I'm talking about this. But they walk down the mountain and, and they see the disciples. And what are the disciples doing? They're trying, they're trying to cast this demon out of this little boy. They're trying to bring healing to his life. And they can't do it. They're clueless. But they don't really fully realize it because remember just a couple weeks before this or a little while before this, Jesus sent them out as itinerant evangelists and they went around seeking people healed. They saw demons cast out of people. They're walking into this situation going, I can do this. I've done this before. We can see it. I, I should be able to do this. And they're stuck there. And then on the other hand, we see this other group of people. We see the religious leaders who are looking at them probably probably gloating and laughing, saying, you uneducated fools who, are, who aren't, you're not spiritual, you're not good enough, you're just common people, you shouldn't be able to do this, and now this just proves that you're following a cult leader. Why would you follow him? In fact, they're probably looking at it and saying, how dare you put this father and this son through this, giving them hope when you can't deliver? How cruel is that? And they're kind of taking what they think is the moral and spiritual high ground in this argument, thinking they're in control of what really should and shouldn't happen. And the only one in this whole scene who doesn't think he can handle what's going on is this desperate father. And Jesus walks down the hill and sees him and he says to him, how long has the child been like this? And the boy's father tells Jesus the details and, and basically says, can you help us? Can, can you heal him? Is it even possible? Can you do that? And Jesus responds to him, I think we sometimes read it as indignant. It's strong, but I don't think it's indignant. He, he basically says to him in kind of a challenge, he says, if you can, everything is possible for him who believes. And this father responds and just goes, please, please, I'm riddled with doubts. What do I do? I'm, I'm riddled with doubts. I, I, I guess I believe enough to be here, but I'm not sure it can really happen. Jesus, help my unbelief. And Jesus heals his son immediately. And in this, we learn at least three things. We'll talk about three things today about accessing the presence of God. And the first is maybe shocking to some of us. It's helplessness. It's helplessness, not holiness, that's the key to accessing the presence and the power of God. Jesus doesn't come to this man saying, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Son of Man, I'm the Son of God. Unless you can believe fully, unless you can get rid of all your questions and doubts, unless you can have faith that has no doubts, I will not heal him. 
You see, Jesus' question to him is not trying to get him to be free of all doubts. His invitation to him is to be honest. We so often think that faith is only great faith when we don't have doubts. But Jesus is saying that doubt and faith are not opposites. They often go together. You see, when we think that we have to have that kind of great faith without doubts, we basically are saying, if I believe rightly and if I am faithful and if I do everything, now God will bless me. And you know what that is? That's us saving ourselves. That's us going to God and saying, I'm good enough now, so you need to act on my behalf. And that's not faith, that's religion. True faith says, I can't muster the strength. I can't figure out how to get my mind free of all these doubts. I can't get over the emotions and the tension that's going on here. And I don't know, I want to believe and I'm trying to believe, but help my unbelief and it's... Even with all that stuff going on on in us, simply turning to God and asking. Luke and Matthew, in their accounts of this instance, actually record different closes to this, which is not an inconsistency issue. It's more like uh, when we when I when I speak on Sundays here a lot of times, and people come up to me afterwards and talk about what God did in their life. I'll hear ten different things from ten different people. In fact, two or three out of them out of, out of the ten will be things that I never even intended to, intended to say. And that's just a picture of the fact that God meets us where we're at when we're together. And even if I didn't intend to speak on something, but you come somehow, a lot of times God works through something I said to have His Spirit touch you. It's, it's just the different impact that we get to see in people's lives. And in Matthew's close to this, he actually repeats what we talked about a few weeks ago. He repeats, Jesus repeats in this context the parable of the mustard seed. That if you just have just even a tiny, tiny bit of faith, not a lot, not something that even looks alive, not something that looks amazing, not something that everybody's going to... Just this tiny, tiny bit of faith that I can do something. The dad is just basically saying, I don't have my, all my thoughts together. I'm not fully convinced. But he's honest. And he turns to God with his honesty. And God loves it when we do that. Isn't it good news that helplessness is the key to real faith and not holiness? Isn't that good news? Second, I think the second lesson we learned is Jesus wants to bring us, wants us to bring Him the most precious things in our lives, even when in the short term things might seem to get worse at times. You know, the kid's a mess, isn't he? He's, it, it refers to him having these seizures, these demonic episodes that cause him to have seizures. And it, it refers to it as something that happens regularly where he falls into the fire, he falls into the water, he's hurting himself. Can, can you imagine the emotional toll that this has taken on this dad? Can you imagine the pain that he's gone through trying to help this child survive in a day when they didn't have all the medicine we have, all the antibiotics we have, and getting burns and and scars and infections? And, And can you imagine what this dad has been through? And the dad gives his best to Jesus and says, I don't know if I believe, but I'm gonna I'm gonna give him to you. And he goes from very bad 
deaf mute to worse. It says, the text says he looked like he was dead. How many times have you had a powerful spiritual experience with God and you've walked immediately out of it into chaos? How many times have you sensed like God was giving you a promise that things were going to be easier, I was going to be free of this area of sin, or this relationship was going to be good, or, or God had given you a promise about a future and a purpose that He was going to do, maybe in your job or maybe something else. He's given you a promise, and you walked out of that promise into a time when it just seemed like it was worse. How do you deal with that? How do we deal with that? You see, the picture of life that Jesus is giving us is that there are those moments when we experience the glory of God, the presence of God, the powerful affirming words of God. And yet Jesus, even while he's experiencing that, the one account says that he was talking about going to the cross and he immediately walks down the hill into the reality of life on his way to the cross. And the image that Jesus is giving us is how we too can join him in knowing God's presence and then walking through those challenges to victory, to wholeness, to freedom, to blessing, rather than letting those challenges that we face uh, do something negative to us. Do you allow doubts to put a distance between you and Jesus? Or do you take your doubts and you still go to Him honestly and consistently, even with the doubts? You still turn to Him. Do you allow the times when you come away from a mountaintop experience of God's presence coming to you and you enter back into the harsh reality of life? Or sometimes it's not even the harsh reality of life. Sometimes it's worse that it's just you enter back into the slowness. You enter back into the just mundaneness, the everydayness of life. Do you allow that to cause you to doubt His presence or goodness? Or do you press through that expecting Him to still be there? You see, lesson three as well is, is kind of a lesson and invitation. It's an invitation to move our faith past ideas and doing to experience. You see, because it's one thing to talk about something. It's one thing to read about it, to have the idea of it. It's a completely another thing to experience it. I could tell you right now, and, and, and I will just say it, I could tell you that one of the most beautiful places on earth is a place called Paradise on Mount Rainier. And this time of year in particular, it's absolutely amazing. You stand up there and you see this thousands and thousands of acres of, of a sea of wildflowers of every color you can imagine on this beautiful carpet of, of green lush meadows and these wonderful pine trees that just kind of blow in the wind and the snowpack and the wispy falls and the, and the beautiful streams and the gurgle of beautiful streams. And, and then you look up and you see this beautiful blue sky with just wisps of, of clouds coming over the top of this 14,400-foot volcano and that's packed on top with a glacier. It's just an amazing, amazing sight. But until you're there and you actually spend a few hours drinking it in and seeing how beautiful it is, you just have a, a faint metal, mental picture of the amazingness that it is. And isn't that true in so many areas of our life? A great restaurant you've been referred to, you don't really know how great it is until you go there. And, and, and then you're like me. You still talk 20 years later about the best clam chowder in the world and the revolving restaurant in Vancouver, Washington, or Vancouver, British Columbia. I mean, you, you just you don't know until you experience it. 
At the heart of the glory of God is the love He has for His Son. When He says, this is my Son whom I love. Listen to Him. And Jesus comes down from that. His disciples can't, can't seem to bring freedom. He, he, he struggles with impatience with them because they're so slow to, so slow to learn. He, he interacts with the dad. He heals the boy. And the text goes on and says this. After Jesus had gone indoors, His disciples asked Him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. The disciples, coming off their ministry success of a few, year, a few weeks earlier and seeing all the stuff Jesus was doing, had forgotten the most important thing in life, that staying in the presence of God and seeking the presence of God is what really brings change. I don't know about you, but one of the first things in life that I find that tends to go when the pressure's on, when, when things are mundane, when it's just ordinary, when things aren't changing like we want, is prayer. And I'm not talking about the prayer where we ask God for what we want when we're in a crisis or it's ordinary and it's boring. We've got plenty of asks of God, right? We, we tell Him what we need. I'm talking about the kind of prayer where we sit with Him and we admire Him. And we allow Him to be with our thoughts. And we learn to experience His presence and experience Him in the day-to-day things of life. Jesus is saying you can't do it on your own. You can't change your own life. You can't change somebody else's life by just saying the right words, doing the right things, being busy. And we could argue maybe what he's saying here when he says this kind can only come out. Maybe he's saying that this incident, is, this incident is bigger and tougher than ones in the past. I'm not so sure that's what he's really saying. He may be. But I think the bigger picture is that really lasting changes can't come apart from the presence of God. You see, when God's presence meets you, when it comes upon you and you sense it in a special way, you hear Him saying to you essentially, I love you. And now you know it because you feel it. I love you and now you know it because you hear me saying it to you personally. And there's something that changes when we experience that. See, hope and reality really live in the same space in our lives. The transfiguration is a picture of life in God's presence that we all long for. Jesus goes to the mountain. He's affirmed once again by the Father. And He comes down on His way to the cross. And let's not stop there. We hear about carrying the cross and we preached about it. But let's not stop there. On His way to the cross, on His way to the resurrection, on His way to fulfilling the very purpose for which He came, the meaning, the good things that God intended, the beauty that God wanted to bring, on His way to those things, He goes through this journey that we all experience of reality and stays focused on seeking God's presence in the midst of it. But much of our reality is defined by how we hold on to those mountaintop experiences or how we don't. Because it's easy for us when the reality of life and the mundaneness of life to look back at some of those experiences and dismiss them and say, that just must have been some weird emotional experience. And God wants us to learn to hold on to those things. You see, Jesus endured the ordinary. He endured the real He endured the 
impatience of slowness of change that so often happens, and he didn't allow it to cast a doubt on God's good plan for him. He didn't allow that to distract him from being with God and seeking his presence. He didn't allow it to create a disappointment with God and a doubt in God's presence and his ability to act on our behalf. You see, the takeaway today is is really fairly simple. God's inviting us to live lives that continually take time to seek His presence, to expect these mountaintop experiences. And even when we're in the reality of life, to expect His presence to show up even when we don't feel like it is there. And there's an encouragement in it. The encouragement is that in Jesus, He wants us to see His face. He wants us to experience His presence. He wants us to hear His voice. He wants you to have all those things in your life and for them to be anchor points to guide you through the reality and the ordinariness of life. In the first service, uh, we had uh, Bethany come up. I don't think Bethany's here. Um, We have a a prayer that happens like 15 minutes before service uh, on the first service. And and you're welcome to join any time it actually happens 15 minutes before this service where? In the hospitality room as well before this service. And it's just a time where we we take out little cards and it's just one little simple exercise. We ask the people in there to ask, ask God one question. What's he up to today? What's he want to do today? And during the first service, there were some very specific things in terms, of, in terms of some men in particular, but anybody in particular who've just been through this time where you just feel like your heart is so heavy. You feel like there's, your heart is coated with slime and gunk and just the crap of life. Sorry. And uh, maybe there's some of you here in this service as well that experienced that. We had a number of people get prayed for about that. And we had others just come down with a sense of anxiety. We had people that, that we felt like God was saying wanted to heal their hearing. And we got to pray for some people. And one of the, person, one of the people at least initially said it's, it's better already. So God's here. He wants us to experience his presence. And I want us to be open to that. I want you to allow God to come to you and meet you right now. We've got a song that, uh, sorry, we came up with the idea for the song too late, so we're not doing it live. We're just going to let you listen to the MP3. It's a song that really summarizes this message, but also puts a voice to our cry to God to see his face, to know his presence. Would you just take the next four to five minutes as this song goes, just to, if you need to close your eyes or however is best for you, just to focus on allowing yourself to call out to God to experience his presence. And I trust that he's going to come and meet us. Darren. Some of you have uh, had experiences with God in the past and you have recently been... um, doubting that they were real. I think the application for you this week is to go back and allow God to make those very real to you again. Those experiences that you've had in the past are not not just the pizza, not just a, a warm shower that gave you a tingly feeling. God came to you to show you His love because that's what He delights in doing. Would you go back and allow God to speak to you again? And 
if you're here and, and maybe one of those things that we spoke out in the first service about just feeling like you have just a heavy heart. This has been really hard to sense His presence. You just feel like you've been slimed and there's just a cake all around you. If that's you, would you come and get prayer today so that God's presence can speak to you? Because I think as you come and get prayer, God will say more to you about that. So God bless. Let's seek His presence. Have a great week. Thank you for listening. Join us at Quest as we walk with one another in friendship while discovering the reality and goodness of God together. For more information and service times, visit us online at go to quest.org.